Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good morning, City Beautiful Church. Uh, my name is Steve Wimmer. I'm one of the elders here. And um, yeah, just a little background on me. Uh, if, you can, if you don't know who I am or haven't heard me speak before, uh, the, the first thing to remember, first and foremost, is that I don't really have like a mental filter. So if something creeps into my mind while this is going on, I'm just going to say it out loud. Uh, for some of you, that'll be a little awkward if you're used to a good speaker like Ryan. Um, and I apologize if that's distracting. Um, the other thing is that I'm used to moving around a ton and there's a line of tape here that I cannot cross at the behest of the people who are producing and filming this. Um, so I feel very neurotic at this moment. And um, if there's a little bit of um, forced hostage proof of life energy going on, uh, that's what's happening. I, I feel a little caged in. Uh, but I am excited, uh, maybe more nervous than I'm used to. I think 80% of my effectiveness as a speaker is feeding off of um, the energy that's going on in the room, and right now there are five of us total, and uh, everyone's wearing masks, so it's just super weird. Uh, make sure to congratulate Ryan for keeping this going for three months and moving us forward as a church and doing it uh, coherently and well. Uh, it's it's really difficult. As someone who's done a lot of speaking, this is my first time, um, but I am excited. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to talk about the spiritual gift of evangelism, um, which for some people might feel like a dirty word, and hopefully we can undo that a little bit this morning. Jesus, uh, thank you so much for uh, what you've done in the midst of these just strange and difficult times. Uh, thank you for your presence in our church and the Church Universal. Um, I ask God that you would help us to set aside whatever is on our minds and hearts that might distract us from you this morning, um, that you would uh, just call us into your presence uniquely to hear a word that uh, may change our hearts and minds and behaviors moving forward, um, that we might be more effective at um, sharing your name and, and your good news with those in our lives and, and more intentional about um, telling people about the kingdom and, and the good news that your love is extended to everyone and the, the citizenship in your kingdom is available to all. So we thank you, God, for this time, for enabling us to still continue to meet in this way, um, to continue to, to grow our community uh, together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I had some notes and I put them in a Google Doc and Ryan gave me some feedback. And the very first thing he said was, make sure you establish a working definition of evangelism because there's a lot of people who probably think of that uh, with a lot of negative connotations. So um, I, did, I don't really love like hardcore definitions and I don't wanna say that I am the, the arbiter of truth when it comes to what this means. But for me, in our modern context right now, evangelism is just teaching the gospel with the hope of transformation. Um, unpacking that a little bit, you can sub in any word for teaching. I don't want to necessarily get into this place where we're, we're parsing definitions out and, and really trying to, to be hardcore about what this stuff means, but you're, you're taking knowledge that you have um, of the gospel and what, what that means, and you're giving to someone who doesn't have it. You can call it proclaiming, teaching, sharing, whatever makes you happy, um, but it's this idea of transfer of information. And when I say the gospel, um, 
we need to have an understanding of that as well. That's not necessarily the core of this message, but what does it mean um, part and parcel to understand who Jesus was in relation to God, who God is, who we are in relation to that, and, and what it means to enter into that relationship uh, in a meaningful way. So taking that knowledge, the gospel, sharing it with someone, um, you could be an, a New Testament studies professor and, and share that information. That doesn't mean you're doing evangelism, you're just doing your coursework. So it's that expectation or that hope of transformation that makes it evangelism. Um, I know Ryan said that this idea of, well, I believe Jesus is Lord, or I think that Christianity is true, isn't really a correct posture. Um, it, we, when we qualify it like that, we act as if maybe it isn't true for other people. Jesus really is Lord. He really does invite us into relationship with him. He really does love us. So that expectation that maybe the Holy Spirit would transform someone um, is, is an important part of evangelism. And I think some of the negative connotation that's bubbled up over the years has come from really maybe a good desire in churches, especially in like the 90s and 2000s, trying to systematically deploy evangelism. So someone found something that they, they noticed was maybe effective or easy. And so there was like these very process-driven trainings um, and collateral where people were printing out pamphlets or saying, these rules are the way that you need to share the faith and this is how we do it. And um, the idea of authentically inviting someone into relationship transforms into uh, something that felt maybe like marketing or sales. And um, I can say for sure that like I've, I've experienced that to a degree and having tools is helpful um, to, to, to start this journey and this process. But, but ultimately uh, evangelism is a very personal thing and it's very relational uh, for the most part. And uh, it's something that we're all called to do. So that's just kind of my piece. Evangelism, to recap, we're going to use the working definition of teaching the gospel with the, hope of ex uh, with the expectation or hope of transformation. And if that works for you, great. If not, I'll never know because you are in the internet somewhere and I'm here uh, three days ago from when the time you're watching this. Ha! Huh, crazy. Okay. Um, Interestingly, there, there is a conversation in the church, not really an argument, about whether or not evangelism actually counts as a spiritual gift. Um, we, we hear of these lists of spiritual gifts from Paul throughout the New Testament, and evangelism appears once in Ephesians 4 when he's introducing what's called the five-fold ministry. Um, so he's talking about prophets, teachers, preachers, apostles, and evangelists. But notice he's referring to church offices. So people who are this thing within the church, not necessarily a gifting. And the, the argument goes against considering evangelism as a spiritual gift. If we think it's special to only certain people, isn't there a strong chance that folks are just going to say, well, it's not my spiritual gift, so it's not really part of my responsibility as a believer. Someone who's gifted in evangelism will be doing that, and I will be doing the helps or the mercy or whatever it is that you scored highly on on your spiritual gift inventory, uh, which you should take if you haven't. It's never too late. Um, I found some research on this, not ultra recent. Uh, so Barna is a group that surveys uh, people from time to time in America about their spiritual beliefs, opinions, thoughts. And they had two surveys, one in 1995 and one in 2010, asking self-reported like born again Christians or evangelicals um, 
to, to share what they thought their spiritual gifts were. And in 1995, 4% of Christians said evangelism is my spiritual gift. By 2010, that had dropped to 1% of Christians saying evangelism is my spiritual gift. I think it's weird that uh, something that's universally commanded for all Christians to do would only show up as a gifting in one out of 100 people. Um, I think more likely our churches and our communities have put forward this very specific idea of what it means to do evangelism um, that's pretty rigid in its definition and looks really like being an argumentative extrovert um, or maybe like uh, going and talking to strangers or um, something to that effect or speaking to crowds. And so people think it's just not me. Um, and, and I understand where this idea of evangelism isn't a spiritual gift is coming from because it really is something that's on all of us. Um, but I think the, the other side of the coin is if prophecy, teaching, preaching, and apostleship are all offices of the church and they exist as spiritual gifts, one would imagine that the people who are holding those offices are gifted in that particular way and to exclude evangelism from the conversation seems short-sighted. Um, anecdotally, I'm sure you all know people who just seem to be more naturally um, maybe skilled, I guess is the right word, but uh, maybe gifted is the right word. Hey-o. Um, at, at talking to people and seeing results, um, seeing folks' minds and hearts change as a result of, of sharing the gospel with them. So, uh, I, I tend to believe that evangelism is a spiritual gift um, because it, it's something that I see different people having different results with. And some people just seem really drawn and called towards uh, that ministry in particular. Um, and kind of the overarching theme of this series is that it's a combination of your personality, your story, and your gifting adds up to your calling. Um, we, we all are called to evangelism just by virtue of the fact that it's been commanded by our Lord. Um, some of us are going to be more effective. But again, it's not our job to convert people. Uh, we can hope for that and we can expect that and have faith that God is going to work in people. But really our job is to be obedient to the call, to plant seeds and, and trust that the Holy Spirit will, will grow those into fruit for his kingdom. So all that to say, I think that uh, there's two things that really matter for us. One, if you're following Jesus, you have been called to share your faith. In the, the Great Commission in Matthew 25, uh, he says, go forward and teach everything I've commanded you to do. He's very clearly telling his disciples that they should be replicating folks. Um, Paul in Romans 10 and, and elsewhere in his epistles uh, talks about this idea of how can people understand what to believe if they haven't been taught? And how can they been taught if no one will teach them? Um, there is a, a universal call to Christians to be able to share their faith um, and do so with joy. So that's number one. It's on all of us. Number two, some people probably have a, a, a gifting in that area and they see uh, results more naturally. That's it. Ryan kind of thought of me for this. Um, I don't know if he saw my spiritual gifts inventory result, uh, but I actually was in the middle of the pack. Um, evangelism was like seventh out of 20 or however many there are. And um, I, I don't consider myself necessarily a natural evangelist. Uh, for those of you who know me, I spent uh, many years in ministry before kind of becoming a corporate stooge, which is what I do now. Um, and I think some of the evangelistic nature that I have is just the result of being in ministry for so long. Um, I, I can remember um, 
the, the very first time that I ever um, was in ministry, uh, we, we had the staff meeting. I just moved from Louisiana to Florida, and I'd been here for a couple of weeks, and we had the staff uh, event for the ministry I was working for, and they said, we're going to go do contact evangelism. And I, I don't know what that term means. Apparently, it just is a fancy way of saying talking to strangers about Jesus. And so we went to this college campus, because it was a college ministry, and they were like, all right, we have two hours. Go talk to people, and um, then we'll come back and debrief. And so I've never been trained in any of this. This is not something I'd ever done once in my life and they just set me loose. And so I'm making all sorts of like parameters and rules around when it is appropriate to talk to people. So I'm like, well, I don't want to bother someone because that's rude. So um, I need to find someone who's not doing anything. And I'd be walking and someone would be walking by me and I'm like, well, they're, they're walking. They have somewhere to be. So I'm, I'm not going to bother them. Um, and I would see someone sitting down reading uh, a book or whatever. They're obviously reading. Uh, they can't be bothered. They shut the book. I'm like, well, they're going to get up and start walking, so they're obviously busy. Um, and after, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, it's Florida, so I'm sweating. And I'm like, well, this, no one wants to talk about Jesus to the super gross, sweaty guy. So I'm going to go inside. I'm going to get my bearings, sit in the AC, be done sweating, and then I'm going to come back and give this another shot. I definitely stayed in the library of this college campus for an hour and 20 minutes and just uh, pretended that I was like praying when really I was just hiding from doing evangelism. So all that to say, um, that's like kind of the the point A, like you can't really get worse at evangelism than being told to go do it and running and hiding in a library. Um, and, you know, fast forward, you know, 15 years, and now I feel pretty comfortable talking to strangers, and I often find myself getting drawn into spiritual conversations, um, even when I'm not necessarily wanting to have that happen. Uh, I go to a lot of conferences for work, and I find myself after 15 or 20 minutes, we're talking about like spiritual things, and I wonder how we got there. Um, some of that is gifting and some of that is just the Lord saying, I'm going to put you in this situation and I feel like now I'm a little bit more prepared for it. So all that to say, uh, you can go from scared to confident. Um, that is something you can develop in yourself, whether or not you're gifted at evangelism. And you can also go from really ineffective to maybe slightly more effective. Uh, I won't necessarily say there's, uh, there's like a silver bullet. Again, that gets into that programmatic, systematized evangelism that I think uh, a lot of us really are, are kind of uh, put off by. But there are elements to evangelism that are just basically how to have conversations with people and not be a jerk. Um, and from a fear context, it, it really just comes down to if we believe the Lord has called us to do something and we have a sense of urgency about it, because really, if someone is living without Jesus, then there's a, a glorious life of feeling loved by God and, and knowing that there's no other really relationship that matters as long as that one is right on the other side of knowing Christ. So, Extending that to someone is, is really the most loving and urgent thing we can do. And when we put those two things in place, uh, one, learn how to have better conversations if that's not your natural forte. And two, realize that none of this is on us. We're, we're really just kind of called to go share the story and, and the chips fall where they may. Uh, it enables us to do this with, without fear and, uh, and maybe a little bit more effectively for the kingdom. So there's, there's really only one person in the Bible who's referred to as an evangelist. Uh, the word is used a couple of times, but it's our guy Philip who shows up in Acts 6 as one of the deacons who's chosen to distribute uh, bread to the Grecian widows. And 
please feel free to read that story in Acts 6 in our current climate as a marker of systemic racial injustice being addressed by the early church and turned into systemic racial justice. Um, these things were not absent from the scriptures and uh, read through that context. It's a very inspiring story. So uh, don't do it right now because you're going to tune out, but like make a little note to yourself. Acts 6, go check it out through the lens of racial justice. Um, it's a really interesting read. Philip, we see him again uh, going to be an evangelist in Samaria, and he meets this guy, Simon the Sorcerer, cool things happen. Um, and then we find him again, and the most significant story of Philip, and probably the most well-known, is his interaction with an Ethiopian eunuch. I'm going to read the scripture for us. It's a little bit long, but it's a cool story, so I don't think you'll have trouble following along. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, or as Ryan would say, Isaiah the prophet. Ew. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? He gave the orders to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way, rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So we just looked at this passage of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and um, I want to pull out a couple things because I think not only is, is Philip giving us a good model for evangelism in general, but he's giving us a good model for the heart of the evangelist, um, and it's, it's really just worth uh, learning from his example here. Uh, one part of the example that you probably won't have chance to apply is that an angel of the Lord speaks to him uh, at the beginning of the story and commands him to go to the road, the desert road, um, at the beginning. So obviously, if like you find yourself face to face with an angel of the Lord, you're going to want to go ahead and do whatever they say. Um, if the rest of the Bible is any indication, you'd be tempted to worship the angel of the Lord. Don't do it. It's not the Lord. It's just an angel. Uh, talk to him and then do what they say. The, the thing that I think is really interesting here um, and the first point that I want to pull out for us is that Philip is really operating from a place of what I think is intimacy with God. Um, we spent a long time uh, talking about intimacy. It was a series that we did earlier in the year into last year. And um, it's, it's a great starting point for evangelism. And if, if you haven't cultivated that uh, or you think that's not where you are in your life, I would encourage you to maybe sub out like a true crime podcast for just back episodes of the Intimacy with God series. Uh, Ryan did a really good job of leading us through that. And really, 
it's from that place that you can do effective and meaningful and authentic evangelism. And if it's not, then it probably is going to look more like that corporate uh, systematic evangelism that, that all of us kind of feel a little gross about. So um, the reason I, I think that Philip is coming from this intimate place is that he hears the voice of the Spirit. Um, so at first it's the angel telling him to operate, but the second time it's the Spirit telling him to go be by the chariot. Um, and in my experience, we cannot hear the voice of the Spirit if we haven't cultivated some level of intimacy with God. There's just simply too many other voices, our own, the voice of the enemy, the voice of the world, friends, whatever. Uh, there's so much going on, and the Spirit's voice is generally quiet. And if we don't have an effectively intimate relationship with God, we won't be able to hear him. Uh, the second thing that to me suggests intimacy is Philip's willingness to obey. Um, a lot of times we simply, uh, you know, we hear something, but because we're a little bit self-absorbed or a little bit um, combative, we, we just write it off and, and we say no. And Philip's readiness to kind of put himself out there and go up to this chariot um, is, is pretty impressive to me. I, I think obedience is a big part of what it means to be an evangelist. Um, if you allow yourself uh, God will put you in some very weird situations and he will do some very cool God-sized stuff um, if you simply kind of get out of the way and, and just follow his prompting. Um, the, the most salient experience I ever have of this, uh, when I moved to Florida for the first time, I'd never been to Disney. And my friend said, oh, you have to go, it's amazing. Um, I, if you love Disney, that's really cool. Um, I, I thought it was like neat, but mostly it's kind of geared towards little kids and I am not one. Uh, well, I'm a kid at heart. Um, I just, I don't know, the rides are not as cool as rides at like fancy amusement parks and I don't love parades of like characters that are fuzzy. Um, but at the end of the day, it was something, I think it's called Candlelight and they do these Christmas songs and they read passages from... Uh, I think Luke's gospel surrounding the, the birth of Jesus. And I remember sitting there and being like, we're at Disney and they're like straight up giving us the word of God. Um, but the end of the program just kind of ended with like a, and so Christ was born and reminds us that we're all the same and we need to be nice people. And I was just immediately like, the, the spirit was like, and I, I kind of like, you know, tensed up and, and just thought, that's, that's not really the story at all. Um, that, you, can't, you can't end there. And so um, we're leaving and we're filing out. And I remember very clearly, this is like one of the times when obedience was, is something that was so clear and I so didn't want to do it, that there was a threshold and I put my foot on the threshold. And I know I'm not supposed to cross over this tape, but it's like a really good example. And, and I, my foot was over the thing and the Lord was like, you cannot leave. And I was like, I really don't want to say anything. And I just felt like if I, if I didn't, I was really disobeying God. Um, so I kind of went back in and I jumped up on a bench and I was just like, hey, that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, there's more. Jesus loves you and he, and he died for your sins. And I don't know what I said. It was probably super dumb. The point isn't that I'm like this brave evangelist because I felt utterly stupid um, to like the nine people who were standing there kind of looking at me. And my friends were just uh, ashamedly kind of looking at their shoes. But I felt so clearly. And, and the point isn't like, whatever, you need to be an insane person who's jumping on benches. The point is like, God will tell you when it's time to share uh, 
the good news of the gospel. And if you're in a place of intimacy with him, you will hear that and you will obey. Um, and kind of the consequences aren't really the point. I don't know uh, what happened to any of the people who heard that, you know, insane rambling from the bench at Disney. But um, I do know that I've encountered plenty of people who years and years down the road have said, oh, something you said or some conversation that we had was really impactful to me. And even though in the moment, like, you know, I either disregarded or it didn't seem to have an impact, um, I'm following Jesus now or following him more closely because of this thing. And so our job is not to necessarily affect change. It's to be obedient to God and let the spirit affect change. Um, so that happens when you come from a place of intimacy. The second thing I think is super cool um, and really instructive for us, especially in our climate of like polarization and um, everyone sort of feeling on edge about having these conversations, is that Philip starts with curiosity. So um, he doesn't run up to the chariot and say, um, hey man, like you need to know Jesus. An angel told me to come here, which is like fine. Uh, if an angel tells you to do something, you do it. Um, but he starts with a question. He initiates um, by getting the guy's attention. And then he says, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And I think that's a sincere and curious starting point for Philip. Um, I know that I kind of come from an only child background, um, not necessarily conscientious. I'm a little bit self-absorbed by nature. Uh, years of counseling have undone some of that. Years of marriage have undone a little bit more. But, but really, like, we're all kind of wired to think about ourselves first. Um, and curiosity is, is a great antidote to that. So um, when we are in conversation with people we know or with people we don't know, um, some of you are very good at this by nature. You're small talkers. Um, and some of you are not good at this by nature. You don't enjoy that kind of level. Uh, you really want to go deep very fast. Um, and, and part of that is just the bad rap of like evangelism is for people who are very outgoing and outspoken. It's, it's really not. It's for all of us because it's based on relationship and curiosity, which whether you're an I or an E on the Myers-Briggs, like we can all agree that we are as humans reflective of the image of God, he is a relational God. We are relational by default and being in relationship with people is meaningful to us and good. So um, if, if you need a kickstart in curiosity, um, that also will help you navigate spiritual conversations. Um, I have a series of questions that have kind of helped guide me through tough conversations to, to not be on the hot seat, not feel argumentative, and also continue to kind of advance what's going on um, and, and intentionally steer towards some sort of uh, meaningful exchange about the gospel and I'll give them to you for free. You don't have to pay anything for my course uh, or download anything or give your email address. I'll just right now, here they come. Um, three questions. One, when someone says something that you're not sure what it means um, or it maybe is a little bit provocative, uh, spiritually or otherwise, this works again for free. This works with hot button political issues too. Uh, you just say, what do you mean by that? Um, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, you can phrase it however you want, but what you want to communicate is that you'd like some clarity on the thing that they just said. And this does a, a couple of things. One, if there is a misunderstanding and you didn't know what they were talking about, they might have said one thing but meant something different. It prevents you from moving forward with like a bad understanding. Um, two, it allows them to elaborate and firmly state, this is where I'm at. Um, and that gives you insight into 
who they are and what they're thinking, which uh, if you're kind of simultaneously talking and listening to the spirit, uh, the spirit can kind of inform you where to take the conversation next after they've said more plainly what it is they think or believe. Um, so I ask like, what do you mean by that? And maybe an example, like if you're talking to someone and they're like, well, this is a classic, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm pretty spiritual. Um, that's actually a somewhat vague statement. And when you ask something like, what do you mean by that? That's interesting. You might get something like this. Well, um, all the religions teach pretty much the same thing. So I just try to be a good person. Oh, um, now you could go further and say, what do you mean by they teach the same thing and just keep drilling down until they, till they get to like, I'm a universalist or whatever. But the point isn't to try and catch them. The point is just to understand where they're coming from. So what do you mean by that is really helpful when the, the conversation navigates into waters that could become spiritual in nature. And, and again, for free, you can use it on hot button political issues if you so choose. Um, the second question that I, that I really like to ask is, oh, what makes you say that? Or how did you, how did you get there? How did you come to that conclusion? Um, again, this is curious in nature and it feels good for someone to be asking you about your opinions for the most part. Um, there, there is a way to do this to make someone feel like they're getting interrogated and I, I encourage you to not do that. Um, but but a, a honestly curious question about how they came to that conclusion again does a couple of things. One, it gives you some insight into the way that they think and the way that they feel, what matters to them, um, what type of sources are compelling to them, what type of logic is compelling to them, and also whether or not they have personal experience with this. So someone might have um, a story that they share when you ask, oh, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, this thing happened to me in my life once. Um, now, this is not to discount a story, but really, like, it's tough as one of seven billion to make universal conclusions about something that happened to me individually. Um, it's super anecdotal. I don't think that's, like, the response. Like, well, you know, it's very anecdotal to take your experience and assume that's universal. Um, but it lets you know, again, uh, this happened. And so when you're talking about this concept with this person, they have, they have a stake in the game. They have a real experience that matter to them. So in our hypothetical conversation with our friend who thinks all religions teach the same thing, oh, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, we'll give you some insight. And I, don't, I didn't think far enough into the hypothetical conversation about what they might say. Um, but maybe it's a class they took in college or maybe it is an experience they had. Maybe they visited 17 different faiths uh, service and that's what they got out of it. Um, the point is being curious about your friends uh, is really important and it will help you to remain authentic and engaged and give you some more context so that as you're listening to the spirit in this conversation, uh, you can go to a more meaningful place. Um, the last question I usually like to ask is something that just raises the question of are you sure? Um, I, I might just say, are you sure about that? Um, or I might say, that's really interesting. As a Christian, I feel like um, there's some really major differences between world religions. Um, and I wonder, you know, how familiar you are with them. And it allows you to go to this place again in a, in a welcoming way that's not uh, aggressive, where you can kind of share your perspective and let them uh, react to that. So all that to say, curiosity is really important. If you're bad at it by nature, which I am, uh, you can not necessarily use a formulaic approach, but this idea of gaining understanding and then understanding where their statement came from uh, is really helpful to, to, to kind of move forward intentionally 
The last thing that I think is cool about Philip's process here is that he takes this random passage of scripture and explains, according to the text, all the way up through Jesus' death and resurrection and what that means for us. And it's really important to be able to do that. Um, I remember the the very first exposure I had to like Christian culture was as a, a teenager in middle school. My parents kind of arbitrarily were like, we're going to church. And as an only child, I thought this was cool because it meant people my age that I could hang out with instead of playing uh, Sega Genesis. Shout out to uh, the year 1995. Um, and so we went to this conference and they had an altar call and I went up and I, and I remember they shared during the talk the bridge diagram, which if you're not familiar, is just a picture of two cliffs and in between is hell and uh, you're standing on one side and you don't know how to get to the other side. God is on the other side and then they insert the cross uh, over the hell chasm and it's a bridge that you walk across as a Christian and now you're on the side of God. Um, this was like mind blowing to me and I remember if you guys grew up in like a mainline denominational church, you probably had Youth Sunday, which is basically when all the adults like take a break during the summer and the kids uh, do the music and do the preaching and uh, it's, it's foolishness and it's almost never good. Uh, I take that back. It's fine. It's good. Uh, people, you know, earnestly trying to, to live into their giftings as preteens is great. So my job was to like share part of the message and I share the bridge diagram and I was like, this is incredible. Um, it takes everything and it just explains it so clearly. Um, all that to say, like knowing the gospel isn't necessarily being able to repeat the bridge diagram or the four spiritual laws or any other manner of tool. Uh, I remember once someone sent us this when I was in ministry. They were like doing business outreach and they mailed us this thing called the Evangicube. Um, I really wish there were people in here because I know some of you would be like, I know what that is. Um, and it was like this uh, device. It was sort of like a Rubik's Cube, but if you remember those little things in elementary school where you could say, like, pick a color, and you'd be like, flip, 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 flip. Um, it had different pictures of white Jesus uh, doing things, and you could flip the cube around to make different images and share the gospel uh, starring white Jesus. And, like, bless your heart to the Evangicube inventor. Like, I'm sure you had great intentions, but that thing was a mess. And the, the point is that sharing the gospel is not about memorizing a formula. If you don't know the gospel at all, start with a formula and then figure out where it intersects with your life. Um, it's a really, really complex idea that's also really simple. If you're a Christian, day one, you understand enough to share because you've been saved by the Lord. So whatever your understanding is, is sufficient um, to, to communicate to someone else. You can be an evangelist uh, hour one into your journey with Jesus. Um, maybe you'll be more effective like hour 10 or day 10 or year 10, but understand the gospel well enough that you could communicate it like Philip did at the drop of a hat. Um, well, let me share to you the story of God, like, and how that fits into the history of the world. That sounds like an academic class, but that might be how I say it. Um, it's just really important that you are able to, not only for your friend's sake, but for your sake, what does it really mean for you to be following Jesus? I mean, Paul says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like, is it just calling on the Lord? Uh, everyone who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth, like, is it just saying the prayer? Like, the sinner's prayer? I don't think that's it. Like, God is not so formulaic that we can get the right words in the right order and achieve some outcome. That's a magic spell. Um, that's not the whole 
Holy Spirit. So all that to say, Philip is very familiar with the gospel and he's able to lead this person into it in a meaningful way. And part of that is because he understands the gospel and part of that is because he understands uh, the human condition and his own context. We don't have this from the scripture, but I find it hard to believe that Philip would not have shared how the gospel impacted his life. Um, and for, for us, we're also encouraged elsewhere in scripture from Peter who says, always be prepared to give an account of the hope that's stored up in you. Um, what that means, I think, essentially, is that we need to be able to explain what Jesus has done for us. That's called giving testimony. We are witnesses. Um, 2,000 years after the resurrection, we were not witnesses of Christ's death and resurrection, but we're still called to be witnesses. So what have we witnessed? We've witnessed his action in our own lives. That's the only thing that you have that you can speak definitively and authoritatively about is what he's done for you. And if you're not familiar with that, if you're not um, able to, to express it coherently and authentically, it's going to be very hard to be compelling to someone else. If your story is, well, I just grew up in church, um, that just makes it feel like you were born on the right team. Uh, and if I'm not part of that team, it doesn't seem like uh, something I'm really interested in. Versus uh, I felt, you know, I was lost and, and I was selfish and I was hopeless and I was... Um, whatever before Jesus saved you. Um, being able to communicate what he did and how is an important part of being an evangelist. And uh, it's authentic, it's testimony, and it's something that I don't think people will be upset if you share. That's not the type of thing that people will reject or, or be mad at you for bringing to the table in this era of don't force your beliefs on me, uh, which itself is a belief that's being forced. Uh, the point is we're, we're not trying to be combative per se. I know that that's a big swath of uh, maybe the most vocal evangelists. Um, we're merely trying to authentically share. Brennan Manning said, I'm a beggar who's telling other beggars where to find bread. And um, that's probably not, you know, theologically accurate enough, but it, it hits at the heart of this idea that I'm not trying to, to look down on you. I'm trying to say like, I was lost. I, I was found by Jesus and um, it, it's for you as well. The only other thing I want to touch on and briefly is the end of Philip's life. Um, we have one other passage. I didn't bookmark it. I'm going to turn to it and look down. If I don't see it right away, I'm just going to paraphrase. And all you people who are like, uh, you didn't paraphrase correctly, uh, I apologize for that. Okay, I didn't see it immediately. At the end of Philip's life, here's what happens. Um, he's still in Caesarea. 20 years later, we can put the timeline together by reading uh, Luke and Paul's gospel or Paul's epistles and, and figure out that it's been about 20 years. Remember at the end of his passage with the Ethiopian eunuch, he appears in another place. Captain Kirk, eat your heart out. Teleportation. It was real uh, in the first century. And then he makes his way to Caesarea. And at the end of his life, we just have this little snippet from Luke. Uh, Philip the evangelist was there with his four daughters. And the point to me that matters here is that we need to stay engaged with a community, if possible, over the long term. Um, it might be your neighborhood, it might be a group of friends, it might be uh, a bunch of people who like driving remote control boats on Lake Eola. Um, I don't know what that community is, but intentionally being in a place over the long term is sort of the the thing that's laid out. That's called being incarnational. It's what Jesus did with us. He, he came from heaven, uh, moved into the neighborhood to use the language of the message. 
and did his ministry among people because people are who he wanted to save. So uh, Philip's example here where he stayed in the same place for 20 years and he has the title of evangelist so we can only assume that he was doing evangelism in this place um, is something we should look towards. The other piece is to bloom where you're planted and, and I, I think to me... Most of us will not have an opportunity to speak to an arena full of people and do evangelism like, uh, you know, kind of was popular in the 20th century and, and still kind of popular in, in some circles of Christianity. Most of you probably won't ever address 100 people. Um, a lot of you will probably not address 10 people. Um, the point isn't to look for a bigger and bigger stage. It's to say, where has God put me today? And as a disciple of Jesus who's been called to proclaim the good news, what does it look like to be an obedient witness where I am today? Uh, not necessarily dreaming or thinking about, about like the future, although it's, it's fine to plan. What does it look like today to, to be obedient to this call of evangelism, which again is for all of us? Um, I think the end of Philip's life shows that he was willing to stay rooted in a place and intentionally kind of pour out his life on behalf of the gospel. And it's a calling that we can all aspire to, uh, gifted in evangelism or not. So as we close down, I think some questions are going to come on the screen and, and I'd like you to consider them. You don't necessarily have to answer them right now, but maybe think about them, especially if you have a process of, of like quiet time or reflection throughout the week. Um, but again, whether or not you feel gifted in evangelism, we're called to it. So push in on these three kind of concepts. Number one, um, have you cultivated intimacy with God? Is that something that you would say is present right now today? And if not, what's standing in the way of that? Is it uh, fear? Is it sin? Um, are we ashamed of something and, and unwilling to turn to God? Are we angry at him over the state of the world right now and, and the way things have unfolded? Um, what is blocking us from intimacy with God? Because that's really the foundation for, for any of this to be effective or meaningful. Um, is to be connected to him in, in a way that produces uh, the ability to hear the Spirit's voice. So number two, is there a person or a group of people uh, in your life that either you feel called to right now or you sense the Lord might be calling you to um, that you can invest in intentionally. Now, this doesn't mean to make a project out of people. Um, they can sniff that out immediately and it's, it's really discouraging when they feel that. Um, instead, are there people that you can be curious about and invest your life in? Um, whether or not they have some sort of outcome spiritually, but just that you can be a part of their life, they can be a part of your life, and you can kind of share the gospel over the course of that life. I would, I would ask you to consider that. Maybe it's your neighborhood, maybe it's a group of friends, um, maybe it's people at work, I'm not sure, but does that exist for you right now? And what does it look like to be intentional? And if it doesn't exist, is that on the horizon anywhere for you? Who could that person be? Or who could those people be? And then number three uh, is this idea of the gospel. Do you really understand what it means? Um, do you have a full kind of broad spectrum view of 
what Jesus has done for you, uh, where your life fits into the story of the kingdom, uh, and, and are you able to communicate that? And this isn't to shame you if you're not, um, it's just room for growth, room for more understanding. So pushing into God's heart and seeing uh, the, the gospel for the full and enveloping worldview that it is, uh, that involves the creation of the world, the fall of humanity, um, the redemption of humanity, and ultimately the restoration of all things. Um, those kind of four broad brushstrokes kind of paint history through the lens of the kingdom of God. And being able to kind of take the pieces of that and arrange them into a meaningful puzzle for, for both ourselves and other people is the work of evangelism. So where are you at with that and what does it look like to, to move forward and to grow? So I'm going to pray for us and uh, thanks so much for, for staying dialed in and I hope that this takes you a step forward on your journey of what it looks like to faithfully and obediently answer the call of Jesus to proclaim the good news. God, thanks uh, first for calling us. Um, we could not have found you without you kind of knocking at the door of our hearts and um, being the one to show up. Lord, we, we acknowledge that we're broken people. Um, we're not sharing the faith out of a sense of triumph, but a sense of joy, a sense of relief that we have found something meaningful and life-giving in a relationship with you. Um, we thank you for the work that you've done to uh, begin bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth and starting the process of reconciling all things to yourself. And we know that that's uh, not even close to done, but you call us to continue that good work, both uh, in the world at large and with individuals that we're in relationship with. So God, I pray that you would continue to move uh, in us individually and as a church that we would be um, a bright spot in Orlando. Um, that people would, would know us as loving and welcoming and a place of hope and redemption. We worship you, Lord, and we lift up your name and it's in that name that we pray. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.